0: i've heard some say we're not going to open up until 2021 i mean you can't function as a society if you don't have businesses if you don't have production if you don't have workers we we will all starve to death if that happens i mean at some point you just run out of things on the shelves at the store so it will be like the old soviet union alan if that happens you're listening to code red with secure america now the largest national security grassroots army
1: Today, our Code Red podcast guest is economist Stephen Moore, a member of President Trump's task force to reopen America, and a founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Steve, can you give us an overview of the state of the American economy, and what are the dangers if we fail to open up?
0: Hi, Alan, great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on the Code Red call. Uh, Look, I mean, the state of the American economy right now is that obviously we can't uh, function as a society and we can't have any growth or increase in employment and get people back on the job until we allow the economy to reopen. And what's happened over the last two or three weeks is that you're starting to see this crazy picture emerge where red states across America with Republican governors are opening up their economy in a safe and effective way Uh, in states like Texas and Tennessee and Florida and Georgia, South Carolina, Iowa, Nebraska, Utah, Idaho. Those states are open for business again. It's going slow, but uh, they have restaurants and businesses open again. Stores are open. Uh, And then you've got these states like New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, my home state of Illinois and Michigan and California and uh, Washington state that remain closed. So it's it's not an entirely true, but it's mostly true that uh, Republican states, red states are opening up and blue states are staying shut down. And that is creating a real um, ge- geographical dispersity. So the southern states are going to get up and running and the mountain states are going to get up and running. And meanwhile, the coastal areas like uh, the Northeast and the West Coast are very, they're gonna have a very slow recovery.
1: Last week, the mayor of Los Angeles declared that Los Angeles would not reopen until the end of July. When you were asked about that, you described it as lunatic. Can you explain your uh reaction to that the extended closure
0: well it'll destroy the great city of los angeles the city of angels which has always been a very prosperous place for 75 years and has been one of the growth cities in america and a dynamic place with immigrant businesses and uh huge increases in uh, population and uh, i think it'll destroy the city i don't think los angeles it'll take decades for Los Angeles to recover if they keep their economy shut down for another two or three months. It, it makes no sense. You'll have tumbleweeds down Sunset Boulevard. You will have riot. I think you'll see rioting in the streets if they continue to try to keep Los Angeles in their homes. Uh, people are already going stir crazy and businesses will fail. Stores will fail. Shopping centers will fail. It will be catastrophic, Alan, for the city of Los Angeles to keep shut uh, through. Uh, I think right now he's talking about the end of July or early August before they open up. So that can't happen. Uh, I think you're going to have a lot of cis- citizens revolts against that. And uh, hopefully the go- the mayor will come to his senses. But you've got a lot of you know, Democratic mayors around the country that are talking about keeping things shut down until the beginning of the fall, or I've heard some say, we're not gonna open up until 2021. I mean, you can't function as a society if you don't have businesses, if you don't have production, if you don't have workers. We we will all starve to death if that happens. I mean, at some point you just run out of things on the shelves at the stores. So it will be like the old Soviet Union, Alan, if that happens.
1: One of the phenomenon uh, that you just touched on, which I'd like you to comment on, is that there are people coming out into the streets, going to state capitals, demonstrating, saying, open up, Um, we can't live this way, Um, we need to support our families, uh, et cetera. And the mainstream media, by and large, has tried to depict these people as radicals, as fascists, uh, pick any negative term um, on the right that you can think of. And, uh, and they're, they're trying to poo-hoo those people and shunt them aside. I was on a phone call with you a couple of days ago about opening up America, and you mentioned that you have been contacted by people across the country. Can you share with us some of the sentiments that you're hearing from people across this country?
0: Well, I, the disparagement of these people is very troubling to me because these are just concerned Americans. They're patriotic Americans. They want to get back to work. Uh, they want America to work. Uh, and and they are concerned not just about their jobs, Alan, but they're, uh, this started right before Easter weekend. Remember where the Government was basically telling people they would put them in jail if they dared, you know, a, attend a church service or some, uh, you know, uh, service where they even if they were going to social distance that was not allowed. And you know, as you know, uh, religious freedom is is uh, one of the bulwarks of our uh, constitutional protections in the in the First Amendment, the right right of religious liberty. And so it was people uh, of faith. It was people who are kind of libertarian-leaning, like me, who just felt like the government was trampling on their rights. A lot of uh, a lot of the people were um, business owners, uh, Ellen, that uh, run stores or run uh, small businesses that were going to fail if they couldn't get rest- uh, you know, revenues and customers in their door. And so the idea, the left was basically so antagonistic to these people, saying they don't even have a right to protest. Now, Ellen, a lot of people protest about things I don't agree with, but I would defend to the death their right to protest. I mean, that's a fundamental American right uh, to uh, have uh, the right of assembly, a peaceful assembly, and to uh, uh, have your grievances against government told. But the left basically said these are racists. These are people who are trying to kill people. They are uh, all with Confederate flags and carrying guns. Now, look, if you get rallies, you know, you had hundreds of these rallies, you're talking about tens and tens of thousands of people who came to these. Uh, you're going to get some bad apples at any kind of, you know, people, uh, no, people shouldn't be waving the Confederate flag and people, I don't think it's appropriate for people to bring guns to these things. I even told people, don't wear a make America great again, mega hat, not because I don't like Donald Trump. I do love Donald Trump. But I said, if you're trying to persuade people, you don't want to antagonize them. And so, uh, but I think those protesters, Alan, were quite effective. I think they really did change the debate. And I don't think it's mere coincidence that by these thousands of patriotic Americans who are concerned about the future of our country, by taking it to the streets in a peaceful way, I think really changed a lot of attitudes. And now we are seeing America open up too slowly, but at least we're starting to open up.
1: I agree with you in terms of the long-term threat to our democracy. Uh, with the demonizing of people who are expressing points of view that the news media doesn't agree with, that certain elected officials don't agree with. We've also seen a situation that even medical professionals uh, have been taken down from platforms like YouTube because anyone who speaks against uh, continuing the lockdown, they're trying to stifle those people, and that's a very, very troubling thing to me and to the people who are going to listen to this um, to this podcast. Uh, one of the things that has um, become an issue, and I think it's going to continue to be an issue, is that uh, governors Newsom from California and Governor Cuomo, and there are other governors are determined to get the federal government to bail out their states in exchange for, I would guess, opening up their economy. I'm not sure about the second half of it, but they are making the demand in terms of getting bailed out. What is the attitude of you and your group about bailing out what can be described as blue states? Well, first
0: of all, we start, We have to stop spending money now. We've already spent $3 trillion, uh, Alan, on all of these bailout uh, programs and relief packages. And uh, $3 trillion is enough. So we, we've already uh, spent and borrowed $3 trillion. Uh, my line and the line of our group is stop the spending. You know, you've done it. You've done plenty of spending. Uh, I think and Arthur Laffer agrees that it's probably on the balance been negative for the economy, not positive. As you know, Alan, you and I have known each other a long time. I mean, government spending does not stimulate anything but government, right? It doesn't stimulate any kind of activity. And so this idea that somehow we're going to get the economy up and running by growing government is is, uh, economics turned on its head. What we need to do is stop the spending uh, and certainly not bail out. Blue states. I, I'm from a blue state. I'm from Illinois, and we've we have fifty hundred billion dollars pension deficits, and we've known that for twenty five years. And now Nancy Pelosi is opportunistically using this in a very cynical way, this crisis, this health emergency, to uh, spend money on things that have nothing to do with the. Uh, with the pandemic. I mean, they've got in that latest bill, they've got money for the National Endowment for the Arts, environmental justice funds, bailouts of the Illinois pension plan. Uh, you know, what? what is this about? Isn't it supposed to be about helping people that have been disadvantaged by the crisis? Isn't it about, uh, you know, dealing with the health issues? How in the world is, you know, giving an, a grant to the National Endowment for the Arts, how does that have anything to do with, with the pandemic? And so I do think there's a backlash, Alan, Again, I think even some of my liberal friends think, "What well, you know? What is what is she doing? How dare she use a a health emergency to advance a liberal agenda? That should be done, you know, through the normal process of debate." And she's always lost those debates, so they're using the crisis. and And I do think we have to stop the spending right now, not a dime more. Uh, we can't even afford the spending that they've already allocated. And by the way, it hasn't been very smart. We're now paying people in thirty one states more money to stay unemployed than to get a job.
1: It's incredible. As my friend Melanie Phillips said, the world has been turned over on its head. Um, One of the uh, flashpoints in terms of strategies and when we deal with opening up or locking or keeping the lockdown going is our school. We have in New York, uh, the governor has said that he's not sure if the schools will be able to open up in September. And I mean, all the literature I have read, and I know people are reading a great deal and listening a great deal about this virus, one of the things that we hear repeatedly is that children are not the main target. Matter of fact, they are rare targets of this virus. What do you make of this uh, school, in a sense, shutdown mentality? And how would you answer those governors who are set on that policy? Well,
0: you're you're actually understating the case, Alan. Uh, There's been virtually no deaths of people under the age of uh, 20. Uh, in fact, I've been telling my kids who are in their teens and Early 20s, I'm like you. You probably do want to contract uh, coronavirus. That, that's how you get immunity. And and, right. and and I mean seriously, I mean it. No people under the age of 25 are not at risk. Period. I mean the you're probably more likely if you're under 25 to get killed by you know crossing the street than than dying from coronavirus. This is an old person's disease. It's a disease that very negatively affects people with emphysema, with diabetes, with Alzheimer's, with heart disease. Those are people we have done a terrible job of keeping safe. You're you're there in the New York area where you've seen the abysmal job that uh, Governor Cuomo has uh, done in terms of keeping people safe in nursing homes. I, I find it sad and also comical that Democrats around the country are saying, under Cuomo, he's the one we should run as our standard bearer. We get dump Biden put Cuomo up on it. Cuomo, he's been the worst governor in America in terms of handling the crisis. Uh, so anyway, I, I think that, um, we should never have shut down the schools in the first place, but uh, now that we know more, way more about coronavirus than we did three months ago, it would be very crazy to, uh, to keep uh, kids from going to school uh, this summer and this fall. And by the way, if you do that, the problem with keeping the schools shut is people can't go to work. And you know I have two people work for me that can't go to work if the, if the if the kids can't go to school, they don't have anybody to watch their their you know seven and eight year old kids so that 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 has a, a negative effect on the economy and the well-being of our kids and uh, so we we should not allow that. we have to open up the schools in uh, in August and September.
1: Your committee to unleash prosperity um was founded recently and can you tell us what your strategy is to help bring about reopening america and how people can become part of the committee's uh, activities
0: well thank first of all uh, thank you for asking and first of all w- one of our activities that's been really very popular is we put out a uh, a newsletter every morning called the prosperity hotline which is really Giving people, it's you can read it in five minutes. It's just four or five bullet points uh, every morning about what's really happening with this crisis. Because Alan, the media treatment of this and the way people, the media has scared the hell out of people, has been shameful, and they're not giving people the real facts. And so that it has been fake news, and so we're trying to give people the real statistics and data and it's very consumable it's very easy to understand about what's really happening around the country and people want to get that by the way can you can just go to the committee to unleash prosperity uh, website and you can sign up and it's free I, are you getting that ellen by the way
1: i am it is an invaluable tool of understanding what's really going on uh whoever is doing uh, your daily briefings uh, should be commended because you in fact look at America, give us uh, real facts uh, not made up stuff and and also what's going on around the world because there is a lot of positive movement actually like countries like Switzerland uh, opening up a month earlier than they thought because the virus is not as dangerous. I learned about that through your newsletter okay. so we will when we promote this podcast, we will also include yeah. information on how people can yeah. get it.
0: Yeah, and it's free. And uh, thank you for saying that. By the way, it's uh, mostly John Fund's handy work. You know, John, he and I worked together for uh, 10 years at the Wall Street Journal. He's a great reporter, and, and uh, others are involved in it. And so, anyway, anyone wants it, it's free. But our basic um, three or four priorities right now, Alan, are number one get the economy up and running everywhere in the country. It's, it's long overdue. Uh, I happen to think that we shouldn't have shut down our economy in the first place. We should have kept our nursing homes safe and we should have kept you know, uh, our businesses safe. But we didn't need to shut down our $20 trillion economy. I think that will go down in history as one of the greatest mistakes in our nation's history. But we are where we are. We have to start reopening in a safe way, number one. Number two, we cannot keep spending money in the trillions of dollars like we have, or we're going to bankrupt our country. Uh, number three, we believe the best way to help workers and businesses to, is to suspend the payroll tax for the rest of the year. That would give every worker in America, you and me and everyone listening to this show, a 7.5% increase in their paychecks each each week. So that would provide uh, more of an incentive for people to get back uh, into the into the workforce, and it would also provide a seven percent reduction in the uh, in the cost of um, for employers to hire workers. So it'll it'll be very pro work, very pro hiring. And then finally, we would like to see a liability shield against lawsuits for employers. Because Alan, I've talked to hundreds of employers, and just a small sample, but they all say, "Look, unless I feel like I can be." uh, protected from these, uh, lawsuits, uh, where someone gets sick on the job and then all of a sudden you get slapped with a four or five million to lawsuit, they won't come back. They won't open up their businesses. So we have to provide at least for another nine months or so this kind of liability lawsuit. So these vulture, uh, um, you know, uh, trial lawyers can't shut down our businesses. Uh,
1: about three weeks ago, the president uh, decided to stop funding going to the World Health Organization. The uh, the lockdown crowd and uh, the left-wing media attacked him for doing that. What do you think about that particular decision? And what do you think about the role of China it has been in this uh, pandemic?
0: Well, I think the World Health Organization has fumbled this from the start. They have been a mouthpiece for China. And by the way, we know China has been the sinister character in all of this in terms of hiding from the rest of the world the severity of this uh, of this pandemic and its contagiousness and its lethality. So um, I think that uh, we Donald Trump was absolutely right to pull us out of WHO, but we also need to, in my opinion, Uh, have sanctions or reparation payments from China to the United States for all of the damage they have caused because uh, China is was clearly the uh, agent of this germ warfare whether they did it intentionally, and I actually don't think they did it intentionally. I think it was just incompetence by the Beijing government. You know, who would have ever thought a communist regime would be incompetent? But it doesn't really matter whether they did it intentionally or not. They need to pay us for the damage they've inflicted on us through their negligence.
1: You mentioned in your one of your answers that you thought that the lockdown was in fact the mistake to begin with um recently dennis prager wrote a column called the worldwide lockdown may be the greatest mistake in history do you want to talk a little bit more about why you think lockdown strategy was wrong. and Do you agree with Prager that this is a historically significant event?
0: Yeah, look, I know I'm in a minority opinion. I bet a lot of the people even listening to Red Alert probably don't agree with me. But I think we'll know the facts much greater as months go on. And I do think a year from now, two, five years from now, people will look back and say, What the hell were they thinking? You know, you just, first of all, it just starts with this you can't shut down an economy, period. End of argument. It just, it, you can't do that. You impoverish your own people. You make them so poor that the cure becomes worse than the disease. So uh, we knew back two months ago, Alan, we knew from other countries that this was a disease that mostly affects older people. We knew that it affected people who have other kinds of health problems. Um, we, we also knew, by the way, from history, we've known this for 500 years, that pandemics are urban diseases. Uh, we should have shut down New York. We should have shut down Detroit, New Orleans, Chicago. Uh, there were about 12 or 14 urban areas that account for about 95% of the deaths right? Because that's where pandemics are spread, but in areas where you have high population density. There was no reason to shut down Nebraska or Idaho or, uh, you know, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, or uh, e- even places in upstate New York didn't need to be shut down. And so we, we, what I'm saying is we could have at one-tenth the cost kept people safer by tar- you know, keeping in uh, quarantine the people who were very much at risk but allowing the rest of our life to go on. And if we had done that, I think we could have saved literally, literally trillions of dollars, not just in the United States, but worldwide, maybe tens of trillions of dollars. And by the way, think of all the human misery and human suffering uh, that are associated with the massive reduction in wealth and incomes and jobs uh, that people have. You're gonna see starvation in in Africa. You're gonna see, uh, in, in the United States, you already see this, you know, people, in food lines, the Salvation Army trucks, because they've lost their jobs. And by the way, for liberals to say, "Oh, gee, you don't all you care about is greed and profits," it's ridiculous. No, we. I believe that the people are being most hurt here are not people who are rich. I mean, rich people probably suffered a loss in income, but their their lifestyle is not going to be changed. It's the people at the bottom of the income ladder. It's the middle class folks who are real, really suffering, um, and they are uh, in great danger of. Uh, of uh, you know negative health effects from being isolated, from losing their jobs. So I really don't even think it's a close call. I think that the cost of this have been orders of magnitude higher than the benefits. And I'm not saying we should just let life go on as it was. I'm saying we should have been so- smart and surgical about where we were devoting our national resources to keep people safe. And the irony is we spent all this money, we lost trillions of dollars, and then you have like things like the nursing home scandal there in New York where thousands of people died because of government stupidity.
1: You know, your newsletter, uh, one of the things that uh, you highlight today, but you've done it uh, previously as well, is the, it appears to be, I will call them games that are being played with the number of deaths that are attributable to the virus. And uh, Dr. Burks, she actually last week uh, criticized the CDC, the Center for Disease Control for overstating the number of deaths. And I believe the governor, uh, a democratic governor of Colorado has also uh, challenged those numbers and come up with fresh numbers in his thing, which, of course, decreased by, I think, close to 25 percent uh, the number of deaths attributed to the virus. Are you as concerned as I am about a agency like the CDC not being uh, a, an agency that you can trust during a pandemic?
0: Well, of course i am and, and you know the Cdc by the way that's an agency that we've given 10 billion dollars a year to for the last 25 years it's a very well-funded 10 billion not 10 million 10 billion dollars of funding the reason we have a center for disease control is to keep people safe during a pandemic and to try to mitigate pandemics and what we find out is that if you look at their website over the last three or four years they were involved in uh, climate change issues lgbtq issues all these kind of Fashionable social issues uh, that had nothing to do with preventing a pandemic, and so lo and behold, we have one of these once every twenty-year pandemics, and the CDC is completely unprepared for it. Remember, they had the testing kits that didn't work. Remember that, Alan? Well, that yeah, that, Yeah, that incompetence by the CDC probably cost us hundreds of billions of dollars. Think of we wouldn't have had to sh- shut down our economy probably if the CDC had not fallen down on the job. By the way, I don't understand people say, oh, I really trust government now more than before. It's like, how can you trust government more? We, this crisis was a result of the incompetence of our government officials. And and what has been really frustrating as this has been going uh, along is we're get, we're not getting information from our government about what's really happening. I mean, Korea was issuing better data about what's, what was happening with Coronavirus than our own U.S. government was. They didn't. They didn't tell people what the age profile was. They didn't tell people you were more likely to die of coronavirus or if you were over the age of 80 than if you were under the age of 40. Um, you know those kinds of things are important details. They didn't tell us where it was happening, why it was happening, how it was happening, who was getting sick. And I think we need much more transparency in our uh, in our numbers. And you are right. Those they, there's no question that they have inflated the number of deaths because a lot a lot of the people who have died had what's called comorbidity. They had other diseases like emphysema or diabetes, or were in nursing homes where the average you know life expectancy in a nursing home during normal times is six months. So when someone's in a nursing home, they are they're they are going to die. And look, nobody wants to see someone die early, but you know when someone's 88 years old, that's a lot less tragic when they die than when someone's eight years old and this was not something that affected young people and yet the government never told us that
1: you know one of the countries that succeeded in fighting off the pandemic without destroying itself its economy and itself is taiwan which is a mere 80 miles from mainland china and as you said they focus their resources on those most vulnerable. And uh, I think this might be the first time in history where we are quarantining the healthy rather than quarantining those who are sick or most in danger. It's it's mind bogglingly ridiculous. Steve, I wanna thank you for sharing your views and also for fighting this extremely important uh, battle. Is there any parting thoughts that you would like us to have? Yeah, I'll
0: end on an optimistic note, Alan. I do think that uh, because we've had so many states open up, uh, and uh, this week uh, we're starting to see a lot of states you know, open up their business and so on, I think that it's going to be a very terrible summer. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We're going to have 20% unemployment for several months now because of the dumb decisions that our government has made. But I do think by the end of the summer, we're going to start to see some semblance of a recovery. And then I think things are going to be picking up in the fall. Uh, you know, It's going to take many, many months to recover from this, but I think we are now, I can finally start to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's a very encouraging thing.
1: That is a great note to um, to end on, Steve. As this battle continues, if you ever want to come and talk to our Secure America Now audience, please uh, just let me know. We'd love to have you back. Uh, Thank I, you. Look forward,
0: I look forward to that, and I look forward to seeing people in person. I'm kind of tired of doing these podcasts and uh, streaming.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so do we. Let's bring the end of Zoom. Anyway, (laughs) thank you very much. Thank you. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean,
1: Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.